Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Clock, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, the go-to organization for information about legal operations and connections to the best legal operations professionals in the business. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest joined the legal department at her company in 2004 after practicing law at Davis Wright Tremaine in Seattle. She oversees legal operations and a centralized contracting office specializing in process efficiencies and automation and has recently moved into the office of the president to expand legal shared services and implement operational improvements. Assistant General Counsel, Legal Operations and Contracting, Corporate External and Legal Affairs at Microsoft, Lucy Bassley, welcome to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Great to have you as a guest on our show, Lucy. Lucy, what personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful transitioning to an in-house general counsel role? As most of our listeners know, the role of an in-house attorney is very different from the role of uh, an attorney at a law firm. And it's interesting to watch kind of that transition happen uh, in in peers, new peers that join us in-house here, uh, as well as reflecting back on my experience. I would say that my uh, natural drive for efficiencies in everything, in my personal life and in my work life, I think has been really the kind of the biggest driver of succeeding thus far and, and in that transition. Coming in-house, the tremendous pressure of just the sheer volume of work naturally forces one to immediately start thinking about areas uh, to be more efficient in, in the way we do our day job. So I think that that would be the really summarizing key word uh, efficiency. Let me ask, how about the speed? Has that been a factor, the turnaround time versus possibly in the firm environment, you had more time to research things before you made decisions? Have you found that you're having to make decisions more quickly? The nature of the business is such that we can't be perceived as an impediment. We have to be partners to our internal business owners, as we call them, our business partners or our version of clients. In order to do that, the thing that's rewarded most is speed. The legal service is expected. It's expected that we're providing sound legal advice, of course. That's the, that's the, you know, the minimum. Uh, but really, it's, it's about it's about the speed uh, when you're in-house. So yes, definitely the answers need to come faster, uh, and they need to contemplate a variety of risks, not just legal risks. So every part about responding to your internal business client is is, is really different. You know, every characteristic of that answer is a little bit different than the way a, a similar response would be made and the timeline within which it could be made uh, at an outside law firm. And that is that business risk that you're having to respond to and obviously be very focused on so that the business can continue and, and be successful. Let's talk about purchasing legal services and negotiating those contracts. What do you generally look for in those partners for Microsoft's business units? That's a big question. I recently transitioned into a legal operations role where I'm actually overseeing our spend management. And so I'm wearing a different hat and working very closely with a peer whose job will be really to design and redesign our law firm engagement model. So it's a big focus area for us as a department in our culture is thinking through how we procure services, these legal services. Now, now that that's part of my job, I, I can say that I'm 
kind of leveraging the past 12 years of experience of practice in-house and how I had to rely personally on outside counsel to be successful in my own day job. And those two are very different perspectives. When I think about you know, just a procurer of legal services that is necessary for me to do well in order for me to be successful in my day job, I immediately go to those facts that come natural when you're thinking about your day job. You want good quality, you want responsiveness, you want timeliness, you want, you know, attorneys at a law firm that you can have a, a good conversation with, be comfortable with. Um, there is this you know, traditional, natural relationship between an outside counsel and, and their client that won't change for how much innovation we do and how much the legal services industry changes. Well, a whole other podcast, really. It, so it's a combination of these softer skill experiences in that in that um, connection that you want to have with your outside counsel and be on the same page, be on the same wavelength, you know, have similar modes of, of communication and, and, you know, approach. And then, of course, you need substantive legal skills, thoughtful responses that have been tailored to and modified to fit my business needs. And then, obviously, I've got a budget. <laughs> I have got a budget that I have to stay within. So, always interested in creative approaches to how to ensure I stay within my budget. It's not on the law firm to make sure I stay within my budget. It's on the law firm to make sure they stay within the budget that I have allocated to their piece of work. And thinking through... What are the smartest ways to staff that that will give me the best value for, for my for my dollar? And obviously, anything creative that gives me predictability, which naturally means it, it probably shouldn't be the billable hour. You know, how else can can fees be structured in a way that I will have predictability in my bill, but still not lose any of the of the great quality. That's a great point. That whole predictability and pricing models and project management and a lot of the things that we're hearing today. Is there one particular approach that you found has worked well within your organization, knowing the time requirements, the turnaround, the expectations of an organization like Microsoft? What kinds of things have you seen work? What's What's been successful? There have been some pockets of success. In our legal department, we expect these individual attorneys and the budget owners to figure out what works for them in their area of practice. And it's very different from litigation to, you know, patent filings to commercial transactional work. And those are just three examples, right? Obviously many more practice areas. So I think different things work in different areas. And I'll speak from my area of expertise, which is the commercial transaction space. What works there is sitting with a firm one-on-one very closely and explaining what other valuable things, services, processes, insights, data, you know, can they offer to me that isn't going to be a new line item, an extra service I want to buy from a menu. This is thinking through all the years that we've worked together and all the work that they've done, you know, in, in my commercial transaction practice. What else would be helpful for me? It kind of was obvious. I came to the firm saying, I, I want to know more about the work that you've been doing for me and that you'll continue to do for me. I want you to provide data. You know, how many contracts do you review for me? What kind are they? I mean, it, it sounds so basic, but after the years of working together with so many firms, I actually had no insight into that kind of information. All I knew was I was getting great work done at a, you know, let's assume good price, Um, but that was it. And so it was really thinking through what are the other things. So in my case, it was data insights into how many, where from, how long do they take you, why do they take you that long, just these kind of basic things from which then we can make some substantive changes. When my own internal business clients 
communicate with, with the law firms that I'm paying for. How my internal team interacts with the law firms so that we can be more efficient so that things either take less time or templates, again, contract templates are faster to get through. So for me, it was about data and having finding the right law firm um, counterparts that saw the value in that and were eager to jump in and try something. Fantastic point. I've been on a number of interviews where you know this idea of communication between the, the law firm and the client and sitting down and having the business conversation, getting the data that you're asking for, it does sound like something that would be a given, but it's not happening in a lot of cases. So I applaud you for promoting that fact. That's really what it is. It's having a business conversation, getting the data, you know, and it doesn't mean that you're going to object to what's there. You're, you just want confirmation of what is there. Right. That's right. You touched on communication, obviously, this enormous word. And we over-engineer it and we worry about formalizing. Can I just say to, to kind of those who are, who are listening, especially kind of your mid-level associates that are really have their eye on, on partnership, communication starts with the most basic things, okay? Please call us back in a timely fashion. Please be responsive. Please just simply keep us informed. A project could be taking three weeks to research there is no extra harm that could come from sending an email at the end of week one saying, still working on it, just wanted to let you know we're making great progress. To make us internally feel so much better, it's a completely disproportionate. One email of one sentence, okay, will make me mountains high of happiness knowing that somebody's checking in with me, it has, things haven't gone dark, and guess what? I don't have to worry to follow up. I cannot stand to spend my time following up with somebody that I'm paying with some of money to be a professional you know, advisor to me, and yet I have to check in. When you said communication, I, I can't help it. It's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, and these partners either naturally know how to do this or have learned over time that that's what they need to do for their business. And what I'm not seeing is partners training associates on this very simple task. Lucy, my background is I worked for a large actuarial firm, and when I joined the company to run business development and client retention, there could be 20 people in a room and they were trying to guess what the client wanted. It was one of those odd things when you come in from the outside to say, why don't we call them instead of sitting here and guessing? All that time, all that money of the people sitting in the room trying to figure out what the client's expectations were. It's so basic. It's almost ridiculous. It's so basic. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's always... Hard to see for the, for an organization like ours. I mean, we're just we're just so big. So I will. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put the disclaimer, but I, I'm sure a lot of my peers will share with me. You know, the, the, the perspective that I think, especially when you're dealing with a large department or a large company, especially one that's perceived to be doing you know well like ours. You know, thank goodness. Um, there is a perception that uh, budget isn't a concern. And that perception comes through really quickly in the conversations. Obviously, nobody you know says anything like that. And it's, it's more subtle than that, but it does come through very quickly that there's kind of a, a right-sizing that doesn't happen if we maybe were a different company. It feels like firms are, you know, they kind of know their their buyer maybe, and it, it feels like we don't get the benefit of being treated like some you're maybe more average buyer or, you know, a mid-sized buyer. And that's, that's frustrating because that doesn't show good intention, doesn't show good partnership. So I think that's one for, for everybody to consider that there, there is no reason to not assume that your client wants to get a great value. And they, they, they want to know that that's on the top of the firm's mind as well. Doesn't mean that it's going to be the best price in town and that's okay, but Certainly, the firm should be showing that they, they appreciate that, they understand that, and they're working their best 
to incorporate that in, in their in their pitch or in their you know, in their thinking. So I think that that's one that may be unique to the big uh, you know bigger departments or bigger companies like ours. Maybe one that isn't uh, unique to to us. You know, just the sense of. Um, hunger and interest and 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 desire to be your your partner which again sounds funny when you think yeah you, Microsoft should never worry about that it's, it's kind of the flip side of what I just described well your Microsoft don't all firms want to be your firm and I think the short answer is you know kind of you know, maybe probably but boy some firms just really miss the mark on making you feel like they really care and it's uh shows in lack of preparation it's shown in you know coming to a pitch with your standard glossy materials having not read up on our latest but publicly available information we're not talking about sifting through quarterly sec filings even we're just saying hey read the recent blog that our chief legal officer you brad smith put out there it, it's amazing how with again a just a little bit of good preparation but substantive preparation by you know maybe the attorneys or, or use the marketing people at the firm but feed it to the attorney so they can use it in their discussion that that will go a really long way so I think that's probably another one where firms, you see them kind of miss the mark and go, you really didn't prepare at all. I mean, a really great example is having, you know, on the agenda topic of diversity, and maybe one of many topics, but let's say it's an agenda for a planned meeting and nobody diverse shows up. Yeah, just think about it, <laughs> or at least acknowledge it if there's a reason, or you know that you've thought through it and here it is. But it's it's interesting how just some little a little bit of thought could could really help that that kind of a scenario, perhaps. It's interesting, and I'm glad you brought that up. We're hearing more and more that it matters. You can't just ignore that element in the agenda. You can't just ignore that requirement. It, it matters. And as someone who's led business developers in professional services, you know, we would always say. That why wouldn't you prepare? You know how long it took you to get that meeting with Microsoft? Why wouldn't you be as ready as you possibly could be in, in a lot of different directions? And now a word from our sponsor. Clock, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, is a nonprofit organization of legal operations professionals providing education, the sharing of best practices, networking, and community. Clock is driving positive change across the corporate legal services ecosystem. Go to clock.org, that's C-L-O-C.org, for information on the benefits of membership and the upcoming annual Corporate Legal Operations Institute. Lucy, there's a lot of innovation going on. In the legal services environment, in the law firm environment, we've got technology, we've got, we're using tools in, in law firms now that we're not as known, starting to be legal ecosystems. That's what we're seeing and hearing. There's a lot of other people in those firms besides the lawyer professionals. What have you seen in your work, the contracting work that you do in evaluating different partners for Microsoft and supporting the business that you're involved in? What have you seen that you would consider innovative in our space, whether it's you know in the law firm environment, in the way the law firms are working with you, or in the actual practice of legal services? Innovation is a big topic, and it's creating good tension across legal services. And I think that's evident in everything from the alternative legal service providers that continue to develop and evolve and as, as an industry. So the LPOs, the LSOs, whatever you want to call these kind of various outsourcing companies to smarter virtual firm arrangements to obviously then just pure technology. Because when I, you know, when I think of innovation, of course, I love technology, but technology is there to enable process. It's there to enable 
the right people and the right resources. So we always want to talk about people, process, and tools, and tools should should come last in, in that sequence. I worry a little bit about what's happening kind of in the explosiveness of legal-related tools because what we're seeing, you know, when I share with peers and other legal departments across across the company, really, and across industries, we're all in a similar cycle of there's a tool, let's get the tool, let's get the tool, we'll get the tool. We go through a very painful implementation, a painful launch, and then immediately there's dissatisfaction with the tool, and then naturally 12 to 18 months later, we're replacing the tool. It just feels a bit of the cycle that I'm just seeing in everything, in again, contracts management, spend management tools. Again, there's some, some good ones out there, but they're trying to fit this big generic need for all department sizes, all industries, you know, across the com- country and, and across the world. And it's just, that's not hitting the mark. So the that I'm seeing are those service providers, and again, not just law firms or not, but it really, it, it, well, especially, I guess, in law firms who are not just thinking about the legal service they're delivering, but are thinking about that holistic package of the people, process, and the tools, right? So they're investing in different types of professionals within their own organization, whether it's the firm or a legal process outsourcer, or, you know, whoever it is that is delivering your service. They don't just have attorneys. They have Six Sigma professionals, project managers, program managers, you know, marketing professionals. They, they, they just have this date, you know, data, data analytics, data analysts, data scientists, data, data you name it. And, and that's all in a very hot evolution right now. And you're seeing the more forward-looking, forward-thinking service providers are already staffing in a different way, right? So that's kind of your people part of the triangle. They're rethinking their people. Not only are they training their own more traditional, maybe legal professionals with new sets of skills and really pushing that envelope, but they're bringing on new professionals to work with, with the legal professionals side by side. And I think that's, that's key. So, so that's an innovation that we're seeing. And a, a lot of firms are doing that um, for sure. Now, uh, on the on the process side, you know what you're seeing. These other professionals now at the table. There are the traditional legal services being reassessed on how that service is delivered. Okay, how how is information passed between the external provider and the in-house team is a perfect example. Now, naturally, you want to jump to to tools, but first those questions have to be asked of the how. So you're seeing with more kind of program management, project management experience, and people who understand Six Sigma in the context of legal services, spending time doing the analysis together with their clients. And that's key, right? Bringing us to the table. uh, And then naturally the next discussion is, okay, now how does technology best enable the process that we just discussed or analyzed? The real innovation is when I see the combination of those three coming together from a uh, service provider that comes and is able to present this in a capable, skilled way, uh, in, in an informed way, it's the most refreshing meetings. It, it's happening. <laughs> this is an ecosystem now. They are enterprises, legal enterprises, even those most traditional firms. The co-chair of DLA Piper, Roger Mitzer, said recently at Legal Week, I run a legal enterprise at this point. When you think of that size firm and his role, it's pretty pretty telling. Lucy, I want to talk about changing market conditions. 2008 was the point that people referenced. It was the time where companies, large companies, all size companies, but even large 
large companies really started looking at their spend, where their people resources were, where their technology resources were, and where their professional services, fees, and services, how those were allocated. And of course, a lot of things have happened since then with in-house departments getting larger, more technology coming into play. In your opinion, how has changing market conditions really influenced the way that you go about your work assessing the value? Great point that you raised earlier, assessing the value of the services that you're paying for in the market. As you're seeing the changing landscape of what's available to to us as consumers of legal services, it's a, it's, a, it's a cycle that makes you think, well, if that's available, why wasn't I thinking of it? And half the changes come from the one party, you know, the in-house team that's procuring services asking for different ones and different value sets. There's also the innovation that's happening in the market that's pushing new options to us. Again, I think it's this natural change that's, that's bubbling and happening. It raises a bit of an awareness that probably didn't exist before. And even in in-house departments, a subset of us internally that are very much in tune with the changes and, and aware of them and are expecting different things from our firms and we're expecting different technologies to procure and, and you know and enable in, in our department. There's still a large group of, of in-house attorneys who are still operating in, in traditional models, right? Traditional law firm engagement models, not not utilizing technology. That number is getting kind of smaller, right? Or, or those people in that bucket are moving to the other bucket every day, more and more as they're seeing the market change. So there, there's a there's this natural, it first took a few crazy people talking about this, you know, maybe two decades ago. <laughs> um, and it was like, well, that's novel, Okay, random, right? One topic and, you know, maybe months apart. And next thing you know, fast forward, and now it is at every legal conference, right? There's new organizations being built up all around. Uh, and I mean, industry organizations, right, that bring together peers to talk about innovation in the, in the legal space. So there's, a, there's that, that, that energy in the air <laughs> that is informing, I think, us as well as, as we just feeling, you know, we need to be creative and push the dial. That's a great point. And we've had the opportunity to interview Heidi Gardner, Dr. Heidi Gardner from Harvard. She wrote a book on collaboration, collaboration within professional services firms, law firms specifically. And then I spoke to Dr. Sylvia Silverstein, who just did a study on legal procurement. I think the data, and and that would be my own opinion, is the data is really helping to push this. The work that both doctors did was very focused on data. And I think it's really helping the law firms make adjustments, especially within the partnership model, which can be so difficult to, to influence. You know, the data is helping. So knowing data is key. Data is key. I think that's that's the push for data, the need for data, this kind of thirst for it that now we realize we we can and should be asking for it. A key word that, yeah, I probably haven't even given it <laughs> the attention it needs in, in, in my response. Just you're, you're spot on. Yeah, data is key. You gave some advice earlier to the Leftfoot listeners about their approach to organizations like yours and being the one to do the follow-up and, and taking that on that responsibility, which 100% should be theirs. Any other advice you would give to those starting the business development portion of their careers as new partners, as maybe established partners that are saying, I need to do this differently. I need to have more success, more control over my career. And, and definitely the first one was uh, more tactical, which is the pet peeve. Right now is the time to not stifle creativity, right? right? Right now is the exactly the right time to propose crazy ideas to the other partners in the firm and, uh, and kind of j- just go for it, right? The, the, you know, it used to be 
you know, you kind of you, you do, and, and you're happy to get the work, and, and, and it was about getting that task done. I think this is the time for associates to really question the how, not, not the what, right? The work still needs to be done, of course, but this is the time to come up with ideas and really question the how, and is there a better way to do things? You know, talk to your in-house counterparts. That obviously, when you have a certain level of comfort and engagement and relationship, question them on the how, not about questioning as much as it's, it's raising ideas and suggesting alternatives and getting their input on what do you think if I tried something this way? I know usually we've done it this way for you, but you know, what do you, what do you think about that way? And be, be open to the feedback, be prepared, be prepared to receive feedback and really hope for that transparent conversation. That, that's the biggest, I think, key right now is we have law students that are graduating and have been graduating over the last several years into a very different legal market. And we expect that that generational change is also coming with the ideas that will force innovation, not just in technology, but process and, you know, and staffing. So it's, it's really being creative. And I guess you always have to assume that people who are creative speak up, but I don't know if traditionally that's been the culture at some firms. So I, I would just say now's the time to, to speak up. Solid advice. Solid advice. Thank you for sharing that. The hardest question of our interview and the one that stumps many, what do you enjoy most about the work that you do, Lucy? I love my job and I'm, I'm so lucky. What I enjoy most is the ability to be creative and be supported in that creativity. So I enjoy most finding better ways to do the same job. There's nothing more exciting than, than coming up with a solution to, you know, to a problem. And in many cases, in just the regular practice of law, it's not the legal problem or the business problem I'm talking about in this case. I'm talking about the problem of being having too much to do. The problem of having to answer the same question over and over again to, you know, 100,000 employees, potentially, at most, and in, in our case. So that kind of constant constant iteration and continuous improvement is what I love most about my job. I don't ever get to sit still. I don't ever get to just keep doing what I do. There's no just, well, good, we figured it out. Well, there you go. Now I'm going to time to make the donuts. I'll, I'll age myself with my old favorite commercial from the 80s. Never. The tone of my work, my team's work, and I think the tone of our department. We're always encouraged, empowered to do the next thing, think about the next evolution. You know, what's the next change? What's What do we do faster, better, smarter? Love that. Energizing interview, Lucy. Thank you. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Time is now. Like This is it. The change is happening. Firms have to keep up, be on the cutting edge, be the leader, be creative, you know, be, be frisky, try stuff because legal services are evolving. They're changing and you don't want to be left behind, right? You want to be on the cutting edge. Excellent. Excellent. Lucy, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. 